California, and that is Calle Trece. Am I saying it correctly, Alfredo? Yes, that's correct. Calle Trece does that does that tune, and I know I butcher just about anything uh, in Spanish. Oh, your kitten! This, your kitten did the introduction. What's that? Your cat did the introduction. She certainly did. I think the cat's going to help hosting the show. Every time she lets out a meow, she steals a little bit of my soul. <laughs> that's her purpose in life. <laughs> Uh, this is Vandal Drummond, along with Alfredo Esparza, episode number six of Slammin' Stan. How are you doing tonight, Alfredo? Pretty good, Kurt. How are you doing? I am doing really well. How are you handling the heat? I right now am sitting in nothing but my uh, gym shorts under a fan in the computer room, <laughs> and I do have the air conditioning on. I am a true Southern California boy. There you go. Waste that energy. That's right. That's that right. Energy. To the max. Since, since we know almost everybody's at Comic-Con today. In fact, we want to give salutations to Dr. Lucha Steve Sims, who is uh, participating in another interest close to my heart. He is taking part in the zombie walk that is part of Comic-Con this year. And I'm wondering if he is one of the first 150 people to take part in the zombie walk because they're giving free zombie land t-shirts to the first 150 participants. I think Dr. Lucha would look so cool in one of these shirts. <laughs> It'll have to be his for... next Facebook photo. Have you seen the preview for that movie? No, I have not. I yeah, am looking forward Apple. to it though. It's up on Apple now. The Apple website, they have a they have the trailer already. I am looking forward to seeing uh Zombieland. I am also looking forward to seeing Dead Snow about the uh, unfrozen Nazi zombies. Yeah, it looked kind of weird. I saw, the, I saw the, the poster for it, and I was like, what the hell is that? Yeah, unfrozen yeah. Nazi zombies. That's even better than all the masked dwarfs from another planet who beat up Mil Moscaris and Champions of Justice. There you go. We need, they need to remake a Lucha movie, but like actually better acting or something. I don't know. <laughs> I would be up for that. I, I think that's a wonderful idea, especially with Mil Moscaris. Not like Nacho Libre. I'm talking about... No. 
something written by a wrestling by a lucha fan, you know. Yeah, in fact, that's something I always meant to ask you. Am I the only one who thought Nacho Libre was not all that hot? I thought it was really bad. Yeah, so I did mean, I. I mean, I think they got the kind of uh, the kind of campy feel uh, that you know Lucha Libre brings with it. But I mean, and Jack Black, I think, is so talented. There, that guy has very few flops. Yeah. And that was one of the few, which yeah, was disappointing because I thought it had a lot of potential. I mean, the whole storyline being based on Fright right Torment, right Torment, right it's like, how can you go with that? <laughs> no, they, I think they would have, if they would have done it like based off of like, kind of like what the, they do with the wrestler, but not like, but a little more like, a little lighter, you know, not... Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I agree. I thought there was a lot that could have been done with that movie. Yeah, cause there's a lot of... I mean, there's a lot of weird shit that happens backstage. <laughs> <You know? laughs> oh, I... Yeah, that's one where it's debatable whether they should just touch the tip of the iceberg on uh, backstage tales or go deep. Well, I mean, there's so much stuff that you, you see backstage that you would normally not... I mean, you wouldn't expect. Like, everybody always expects that backstage if everybody's training, working out. Then you have, like, these guys smoking on the cor- on one end. I was thinking about that a little earlier. In fact, that's something I think we've meant to bring up on uh, almost every episode of Slam and Stan. And that is the most unique places where we've partaken in a pro wrestling show. Uh, I think any wrestler anywhere throughout the world can... You know, especially wrestlers who have, you know, worked on an indie circuit, can talk about some unique, unusual arenas or what is supposed to pass for an arena. You and I, it's been almost four years since we first stepped into Arena Pero Aguayo. Easily one of the worst places I've been to for a wrestling show. Easily, I would say it's second only to. Arena Mexico. I do not refer to the legendary Arena Mexico in Mexico City, obviously. In fact, this Arena Mexico was probably just three or four miles away from Arena Pero Aguayo. These were uh, each of these arenas were in South LA. Uh-huh. And how would you describe Arena Pero Aguayo? What is the initial? observation you had when you walked into Arena Pero Aguayo? Well, well, when you first show up, it's basically just... I mean, you've seen those movies about, like, the steel mills in Pittsburgh and all that stuff, when they'll show, like, the steel mills. Yes. And, all, and like, not just Pittsburgh, but, like, when they show them, like, in those old, you know, old cities. That's what I thought that building looked like. And I was like, holy crap, that was horrible. And it was a very yeah. nondescript building. In fact, I yeah, think it was we could have easily driven by it and not known there was wrestling in there. Yeah, if you if you don't see the, the the poster just outside of the the intersection, you know, right there, you wouldn't you wouldn't even know there was lucha libre. Yeah, it was it was right on the corner of I don't remember what the streets were, but they were right off the one ten freeway. Yeah, and you're right, there was a poster, but you could have easily driven by the poster because it's it yeah, looked like a warehouse car- inside <laughs> a little gated area, and the only thing advertising the wrestling was. The poster a poster that was. I'm sorry. The poster made with like a sharpie. Exactly, made with like, a sharpie. Yeah. And the reason Pero Aguayo came into my mind is that was the arena where uh, 
they had the legendary bucket of piss in the dressing room. <laughs> <laughs> well, that that whole story, that whole thing started off with because the restrooms were they put the they put the, the why wouldn't the first thing I thought when when we would go in is why didn't they put the the, the little the closet the dressing room why didn't they put in that one spot in the entrance? You know, That's a good that. question because you would we would enter Arena Paraguayo there would be the little lobby area where yeah. they would take tickets and sell souvenirs and then, they had and then to the left the left there was a working men's and women's room yeah not the biggest one but it was in good working order the plumbing was you know up to scale everything which if you've been in enough small wrestling arenas plumbing ain't always there yeah and the area that passed for a dressing room was in the back of the arena far away from the men's room and it was th- it was just a little curtained off area with access with no place to piss. There was no back door where you could step out and piss in a back parking lot even. Yeah, so wrestlers cool. just began pissing on the back wall in the warehouse. Well, actually, it didn't start immediately. At first, it started where guys would go all the way to the restroom, wait, get, wait in line with the, with the paying public. So basically, they had to stand there and listen to these people, you know. In their tights. Take pictures. They're in their tights, or or if they were already dressed, they would work. They would have to put on their mask again and go all the way back to the other and side. And that 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 alone kills the mystique. Hey, there's a guy in the main event. Gonna go take a piss. Yeah. So so basically, I think the first two weeks they would do that. Then the third week, we kind of we showed up, and a couple of the guys, um, I think it was Aguila Azteca, was pissing on the on the, side on the back the wall. You're right. That was the first then, person we saw doing it. Yeah, and, and he he offers he offers us. What, what did he do? He offered to shake our hands. Remember. <laughs> and you shook, you shook it, you shook it like nothing, and I was like, no way, you know. And what did he say? Don't worry, it, there's a, there's an opening right there. There's a, there's a, there's a hole there where the, where the piss is going through, and we were like a little shocked. Uh, yes, yes. Well, one thing is, you know, if you're gonna shake hands with people in wrestling, you know, wrestling's no place where you can afford to be a germaphobe. You yeah. have to accept the fact that you're gonna be rolling around in germs. You're gonna be walking through every airborne illness imaginable, every anything you can imagine. If it's germophobic, if you're germophobic, I should say, you're not there. It's hey, hard to be a germaphobe in professional you wrestling. Carry your, your um, hand sanitizer with you. <laughs> yes, and, and to just show my uber-geekiness, I made a point of bringing my inhaler with me because... I had never been in a rest- in a dressing room where there was so much cigarette smoke in such a small area. Yeah, and that's the other thing. There was always smoking, too. Wrestlers were smoking from the moment you walked in till the end of the night. And it was, you know, it's weird. That dressing room was almost like the ultimate Pavlov's dog. Once well, then- one wrestler started doing something, all the other wrestlers followed suit. It seemed like... Uh, once Aguila Azteca started pissing on the back wall, all the other wrestlers started pissing on the back wall. Then one of the uh, one of the wrestlers lights up a cigarette. All the other wrestlers say, "Hey, sounds like a great time for a cigarette." And before you know it, you're smelling piss and walking through tobacco smoke. And there was a solution to the pissing against the wall the following week. And, and that I, happened. And that happened mid um, mid show too. The the, the bucket. Because remember when we showed up, there was no bucket. Now, who read them the riot act about not pissing on the wall? So that's what I'm trying to remember. I'm thinking, um, um, was it a neutron? 
Neutron, yes, because yeah, his wife was the promoter of the show. And then he, he, like, while you guys were, I think you were actually wrestling during the right during this time. Mm-hmm. Because I went back to, I went to the back before you did, and I saw this this bucket, this um, trash can. And then I went, you know, plastic trash can, trash can. So then I went back out. I went back out just to see what, what if you guys were done. You went in, in there, and then you saw it too. And then we were like, "What's going on?" And that's where we started. Where somebody mentioned it was the piss bucket. Yeah, it was a piss bucket, just this big bucket that uh, all the boys pissed in. And from that point on, I looked for whenever I bought my uh, gym bag in, I looked for higher ground. I looked for a table, for a chair to put it on, any place but the ground, because I knew that one day that bucket of piss would get knocked over somehow. And Amazingly, did it didn't happen in the time I wrestled there. I thought with my luck, it, it was going to be a... And you did not want that bucket to, to fall over because of the guys that were sitting. Yes, it was nauseating enough walking by it. And you didn't want to deal with the guys who you would actually mess up. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Those guys, exactly. Those guys would kill you. Yeah, and yet I do have fond memories of that place, as trashy as it was. And then there was Dildo Man. What? <laughs> Don't you remember the, the guy who wore the the, the Road Warrior type... Um, what was that? The, the, those... Um, those shoulder pads. Remember the shoulder pads that the that the road warriors would wear? Oh wait, did you just wait? Did you call them dildo man? Remember they were they weren't spiked. Remember they were spiked. They were dildo. They looked dildo. Oh my god! You were the one that called them dildo man. Oh lord! Oh man, my memory is going bad, but this is coming back to me. And then and then like I think one of the luchadors heard us call it dildo man. He started laughing too. I think. Well, that ain't for not who heard us say dildo man, and everybody started laughing. I don't even remember who that guy was, too. It was one of the shows where I didn't tape the, the show or anything. Yeah, yeah. You know, we're talking about all the grotesque stuff in the dressing room, but they they were a really nice bunch of guys. Oh, yeah, really good guys, you know. Uh, remember uh, Kid Norteño. I never got to work with him. I was hoping I would, but he was a kick. One of the craziest guys you, you'd see, and all of a sudden he was really, he was really, like, he had the most, the most, what, um, I guess, how would you say it? He had the most. Um, Are you talking about his his ring outfit? Well, no, his on the way he viewed wrestling, like he didn't think like. Remember that one guy who was here for a little while? I can't remember the guy's name. Rudy Venegas. Yeah, him, and he wanted to be a, a, a in the third match. Yeah, he made yeah. the statement that he refused to uh, wrestle on a show where he wasn't at least in the third match or higher. Yeah, because he was in the opener and he was yes. Through the whole the the whole night, he was just complaining, and then Kid Martinez just looked at him, hey. You know, they're whatever they're gonna they they're paying us whatever amount. It doesn't matter if I'm in the opener or the main event or in the middle of the mat of the card. I'm gonna get, I'm gonna do what what I have to do to entertain the fans. And I exactly, I he seems like somebody who really enjoyed what he did. It wasn't a career for him, you know, but he put a lot into it. He was an older older guy. He was probably around my age. I think yeah, I think he might have been older too. Yeah, and he he's somebody who. You know, wasn't full of himself. He just, you know, seemed to have you know, a great though. time. He was just crazy, though. Yeah, he was crazy. Yeah, I, I, I will say that he was a bit of a nut job, but a, a very friendly one. I, I got yeah. a kick out of Kid Norteño, and yeah, really nice guy. Whenever I would tape the show, he he offered to pay me, and I was like, no, that's okay, that's okay. Which is also refreshing because there's a lot of uh, you'll meet a lot of boys who uh, expect you to. Front them free copies of everything because yeah, they're the wrestlers. Majority of the, guys, the majority of the guys I've dealt with have been willing to at least, 
you know, they'll offer to pay shipping, and that's fine. You know, they don't have to do it, but hey, you know, that's great. It's nice to hear that. <laughs> it's always nice to hear, like, somebody offered to do something. Yeah, that is nice, yeah. Today's day and age where everybody wants everything for free. Yeah, whether they're a wrestler or one of the smart fans who thinks because they're in the know that, you know, they should get a free ride. You know, Kid Norteño versus Sakura Ichikawa would have been fun. Oh, that would be sweet. I mean, I, could, I mean, just just want just being backstage, having them have a discussion over it would have been. <laughs> or you know what? Just Kid Norteño's reaction to wrestling, Stalker Ichikawa would have been fun. I I could picture Kid Norteño after wrestling Stalker Ichikawa getting excited and wanting to do a whole program with him. Well, I remember with you, he wanted to do like a whole hair ma- hair versus hair match, you know. A whole feud built around and then leading to a hair match or something. And, you know, when I had long hair, that was my ticket to getting booked on indie shows is because all the luchadores would see me and say, oh, my God, I could wrestle, wrestle this guy in a hair match. And they yeah. would all ask me, how much do you want for your hair? And the highest bidder was, what, 300 bucks? 300 bucks, yes. <laughs> Then the only time I dropped my hair was 15 years ago to Physico Nuclear, uh-huh. and I got 260 for that. Wow. Hey, that's a good payday. And that was one of the most fun matches I ever had, in addition. On the indie circuit where you don't get paid half the time? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Where you're, where you're so, paid, thank you. So i got to say, the people who paid me $260 was Dan Farron, the late Larry Doyle, and Grant Miller. Wow. Yeah. Dan Farron paid you two hundred sixty dollars. Wow. He paid me two hundred and sixty dollars, <laughs> yes. He's he's gonna he's gonna demand his money back. <laughs> now I want my money back. No, one, one thing I'll say about Dan is is if you were a wrestler on one of his shows, he made sure you uh left with a payoff. <laughs> and not a ten dollar payoff. <laughs> yeah. Not like the the I think that's probably what killed the Rena Paraguayo too. Yeah, I was surprised. Um, I, I remember getting a twenty dollars payoff, and to be honest, I was surprised I got that much. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think you could get away with it for a certain amount of time and with certain people, but I mean, once once those guys are in the same position over long and they've already wrestled elsewhere, you just can't do that anymore. I think you can do it as long as you have guys who want to get some sort of exposure. Yeah, uh, yeah until guys get wise to it, they. There's a lot of young guys who will take, you know, little or no payoffs. Well, I brought up last week the Jim Slammers, who for a while, uh, people actually had to pay to be on their shows. <laughs> I mean, that was very surreal. I I bet they're not the only promotion that's ever done that. And if anybody out there has worked on any shows that have any arena stories that are comparable to Arena Pero Aguayo. Please let us know. Email us. Uh, and we usually don't get people calling in, but I guess we should give the call-in number to Slam and Stan, shouldn't we? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, the, the call-in number is 347-324-3764. Hey, you know, for um, Blog Talk Radio, they're offering the, this new premium service where you can actually call people in. <laughs> really? For forty bucks a month, you can call people in. I'd be like, <laughs> could you imagine we got Steve Sims' phone number? We start calling. 
<laughs> hey, Steve, where are you? You say, why won't you guys stop bothering me? You guys are always pestering me because I'm your only caller. And then we can start calling other other um, blo- um, podcasters. Other podcasters? Actually, we should start just calling right, random Albert. people out of the phone book and see where it goes. You know what we should do? One of these days when we see uh, Brian Alvarez and Dave Meltzer doing a show, we should we should plan our show at that time and call their show. That would be sweet. We, we would be <laughs> a show work. within a show. Yeah, show within the show. That then would all, be sweet. That would rule. And then we could all interrupt each other. <laughs> <laughs> well, we mentioned Stalker Ichikawa. Yeah, getting back to Stalker Ichikawa, you mentioned you finally saw his match. I saw that match. For those of you who are Stalker Ichikawa fans or who are not Stalker Ichikawa fans, he is a wrestler whose fame is based upon him being a jobber. A jobber who, unlike almost every other jobber, has complete storylines and angles wrapped up into his role as a jobber. The most prolific loser in the world is Stalker Ichikawa. And he wears like a devil outfit, too. That's a great outfit. When yeah. Well, the first time I ever saw Stalker Ichikawa was on a sh- uh, one of the DVDs that I was watching over at your house yeah. about, I think, six years ago, maybe. Uh-huh. I thought he looked like a Martian from one of the old Blue Demon movies or an old Japanese science fiction movie, and I just thought this... This guy is amazing. And then I saw him, you know, tear his uh, top shirt off as if it were a fruit roll. And then he loses. I sat there saying, what the fuck? This is the most brilliant gimmick. And they just buried this motherfucker in record time. But little did I know that this was... What's that? It works for him because he's like a skinny guy. So, and his yes, it name. worked. And you know, since 1998, I believe is when he made his debut. Yeah, in Mexico, isn't it? Yes, and in Mexico. And ever, you know, ever since then, his whole storyline has, you know, been the jobber who occasionally will win a match. I doubt he's won more than five or six matches. Of course, I might be wrong because I'm. Somebody's going to send you the, the, the complete history of... Please do. Of, of Sakura Ichikawa, and you're going to be wrong. Please do, because I'm ashamed to say I'm a huge admirer of Sakura Ichikawa, but I know very little about this man. In fact, uh, every time he comes over to California and to Los Angeles... We got to see him wrestle... Uh, Top Gun Talwar. Top Gun Talwar um, in Burbank. Or was it Reseda? No, it was Burbank. It was Burbank. On the Pro Wrestling Gorilla Show. We saw him, we saw him climb a cannon, didn't we? <laughs> yes, we did. we did. The show I wish I got to see him on was uh, the show in City of Industry where he did a job to uh, Bart Kapitsky's cat. When, when was that? Was that after or before? That was about a year. That was after. That was just in the last year. Uh, you know the little black cat that walked oh, around so they, uh, Bart's shop? This, he did a job right, to the cat. This was right before they did their show, right? Yes. Oh, okay. So they came in and did their Dragon Gate show. I yeah, uh, and I cannot say enough good things about Stalker Ichikawa. The only thing I would change is I would dump the jobbing gimmick, bring him full time, and I'd be putting him over like crazy. That is the coolest outfit I ever saw. 
Well, I think they can't. I, I think he doesn't work full time because he actually does the uh, other stuff behind the scenes. The, even better, even better. Yeah. That's somebody close to my heart. That's uh, that's like a sort of a wrestling soulmate, you know? Somebody who is a ham and egger who doesn't do this full time. Yeah. Plus, he had he was in a car accident too a, long, a while ago. Ooh, bad one. No, I think he. I think I don't know if it was a car accident or he got. All I know is his his license was revoked or something. Oh, wonder if he did a job to the traffic cop. Uh, I, I don't. I don't know. I, I know. I think I read it. I can't remember. I read it on the Observer, or on one of the message boards. I, I could picture him being in costume when he did it. <laughs> that Couldn't you see that? You're, you know, you're, you're this nice little patrol man just trying to do your job. There's a wreck, and a guy in a Martian costume comes out. You know what? I always crack up whenever the luchadors would show up at a at a wrestling show, and they'd be wearing their mask already, like the los chivos. Yes, yes, I have uh, Los Chivos, Kayam and Enigma de Oro, uh, two of the sweetest guys you'll ever meet. Uh, The funny thing, though, is Enigma de Oro, I have never seen him without his mask, (laughs) ever. The the, the backstage stories, the guys just like to rib on on the ribs he gets for for not taking off the mask, you know. Oh, exactly. He's the only one of the boys who would keep his mask on throughout the entire show in the dressing room. I wonder if he wears it during the heat, man. I <laughs> wonder if he wears it to his day job. Well, see, that's, that's a, I think that's where we started like joke, making, poking fun at him. Remember that one time where he, where he was talking about he, he was hurt, his shoulder was hurt? So we started asking him, hey, so like, do, you, do you wear that at your day job? or? He made some little crack about people, people uh, looking at his forehead because I guess he's got a pretty gigged forehead. Uh-huh. Typical of a lot of indie guys, uh, and he—he, he, I can't remember what excuse he made for why he had a road map on his forehead. I remember I, laughing at it, but I can't remember—I can't remember the anecdote. Isn't that brilliant on a podcast? I'm sharing an anecdote I don't remember. Well, you know, I think Kai am, man. If he ever lost his mask, he'd—he'd be, he'd be really—he'd look—he'd look really—he'd look all right. Like he'd, yeah, he'd, he'd look, look fine. He'd, for, you know, for, for, I guess he's probably—he's probably in his forties too, so. He's in his 40s. I began watching Kayam in 1981 uh, in Hadco Plaza. Uh-huh. He was always in the opener and for the longest time would always do the job. And Hadco Plaza, I cannot overemphasize what a great indie promotion it was. When they would bring a wrestler up from the opening matches, they would not rush him ever. They would take it nice and slow. I I would say I saw Kayam wrestle in opening matches for about four months. And before I went to Hadco Plaza, I had a friend who was going there regularly, and he said, yeah, Kayam's lost ever since I can remember. Wow. And then finally, one week we go there, and he goes over in the opening match, and the crowd popped like you wouldn't believe. Yeah, I mean, his... his if he ever lost, if he had a mask match, he has nothing to worry about. If he dropped his mask, he could get over with his facials yeah. and stuff. He could get over easily. Think, he he has a very like, charismatic face. Yeah, he, he's got like a Colosso Colosetti kind of look. Kind of he like, does. That's a very good way of putting yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, he's like a beard, like all the, the just the face, the the. Oh, he could he could do those histrionic uh, expressions a la Colosetti. Yeah. He could he could get over easily with that face. Another thing that fascinates me about Los Chivos is uh, they, I think, are 
the hardest working Southern California indie boys I have ever seen. You no, know, they used to for for like about I, I don't know about recently, but like for about the last several years, they were on every single show. Except for it seemed like they were wrestling five or six nights a week, and sometimes they would be doing double shots in addition to holding down their day jobs. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah, Kayam is, is a school teacher. Oh, oh, you broke kayfabe! My goodness. Oh dear! Oh my God! Oh my God! You're gonna get a phone call now. Witness protection Kurt, program now. Herb Brown's gonna get assaulted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the good thing is nobody knows where you live. So. <laughs> yeah, they could probably find out easily enough. Yeah. Oh, as long as Dr. Jerry Graham was never able to find out, that's all that I, I yeah, was concerned that's, that's about. That's all that matters. Now, you know Stalker what Ichikawa, what, where did you first uh, see Stalker? The first, I think the first time I saw him was on, um, I think, one of the IWRG shows. I think that was one of the first times. It was either that or the, the first Toriumon show, because he was, he was already pretty much old. He was used on those shows all the time. But I, I remember seeing him in IWRG, and, the, and the, you know, the Mexican crowd always has, like, this weird reaction to people. And he just started laughing at like, <laughs> <laughs> So was his gimmick completely comedy right out of the starting gate? Was it thoroughly developed? Yeah, it was already that. Like, the first the first time I saw him, he was already that. But, you know, the funny thing is, like, all, all the skinny Japanese guys get that same reaction, though. <laughs> like, I remember Milano Collection 18, when he did, um, I think he was on... I can't. Remember, I think I can't remember what his name was, but he just got ripped all the time. Like on on the on the show, you just you you just hear like the little cat calls they give him and everything. That oh was, wow! Very easily get stereotyped in that yeah, respect. Yeah, like you just know what's going to happen. So have you been following all the news for um, the next couple of weeks of lucha? A lot of stuff. You know, I DVR AAA. I have not watched it. I cheated. I cheated and I looked at the AAA report on Wrestling Observer. Uh huh. And you're and like, I no. just skimmed it. I just skimmed it, but I didn't see the name Gato Ever Ready or Pimpinela. So you just skipped it. <laughs> I yeah, I skipped most of it. The one thing I am missing out though is I think they said there was a singles match between Teddy Hart and Jack Evans. Yeah, on that on the last show I think there yeah that was. Yeah, so I I, I am gonna go back and watch that, but. No Pimpy, no Gato, no Dice. Yeah. I wasn't going to rush and watch it just so I could talk about it tonight. You know, I kind of crack up because um, you know how they, made, they built up that, that Degeneration Max and they even stole the, the, the music, the video and everything. And they right away, they, just started, they're, they're already book, broke it up. <laughs> like such a, it, it, they, never, they never did anything with it. It was just like one of those oh, time wasters. Is John Laurinaitis booking for them now? Well, see, what they should have done is just had them job, like, to the cyclo circus. At least we could have had that, you know. I think they did Yeah, at job. least you could have kept that lame storyline going on. I mean, it just, it just, I, I don't know. I think, I think AAA, I understand that they're drawing, but I'm, I don't think they're drawing as well as some people make it out to be. You know, like, because I've seen some of those smaller shows, and there's no, there's, like, no one at these shows. I, I would be but, curious to see how they're doing you know, day-to-day business. Not you know, day-to-day business, but, you know, what their typical gate is, you know, because we're used to hearing these really successful, you know, gates. Yeah. and so, But is it that way down the line? Yeah, I, I think I think it's just the big shows that are doing really well. But like the, like the, and, and, and I, I don't know if you noticed, but they're, po- I think they list everything as TV, TV tapings too now. <laughs> <laughs> so they make sure people, people, hey, let's go to the TV taping. Something might happen. 
but it's like such a such a crappy you know i don't know triple a i i i understand why some people like it but it's it's never been my cup of tea I can see the charm, but I don't think I've been able to sit through an entire episode without doing a little bit of the fast-forward action. Did you hear they're going to have a new TV show? Yes, I did. This is the one, it's it's going to be one of these who wants to be a star type. Well, that, and they're gonna, apparently they're going to do another wrestling show for uh, Fox Sports, Espanol. Oh, I did not know about that. But see, like every, there's some people that get really excited about it, but... I don't know if you've ever seen like some of their previous attempts at one-hour shows outside of television. They've been pretty bad. Well, I think anybody who's been a smart for long enough, like we have, yeah, you just, after a while you learn, do not get excited when there's, there's a new show on the horizon. Because you hear all the potential it has, all the possibilities, only for the whole thing to go flop. Not... You know, because shows are supposed to go flop, is it because the visionaries just don't deliver? Yeah. Or it, they're it held does, back? Or whoever, being, whoever's telling the story uh, their way? It just it just ends up being something that you don't you know, Like that one time they did a show where it was about, I think it was like for late night, like a after-hour show. And it was yes. really like, it was just Latin Lover and those guys stripping or whatever. It was for women. <laughs> I saw one episode and I was like, yeah, I don't think so. Oh. And then CMLL's on, I guess the next week they're doing their Inferno and a Ring show. And they have a, their main event is a 15-man cage match. So they had announced like the first 10 or 12 and then like the final four, I guess they couldn't figure out so they just went like four, four mid-carters. <laughs> I went, love it. I love went, it. They just went Maximo, <laughs> Heavy Metal, Okumura, and Miklon. Let's finish this. There you go. Final four, all mid-carters. And when you think of heavy metal and the word mid-carter, and you think about Main event. the heavy metal of 1992 or 1993. You know, but the thing is, wouldn't it have just made, instead of having a 15-man cage match, wouldn't it have just made sense going with the 10 guys you had already listed? Easily. More is, not de- you know, more is not merrier all the time. But you not, much- It's not set in stone. Yeah, um, Robert Bihari had this um, uh, comment. He's like, well, at least the, the rest of the card can't be bad now. <laughs> like, hey, that's true. Uh-oh. Because <laughs> you get all the mid-carders in the, in the main event, so it's like, okay. The crappy mid-carders, too. It's like... Shove them in there, yes. Heavy Metal's really bad. Okamura is... Okamura... Have you seen Okamura? I have not seen Okamura. You've never seen him? Um, he's a Japanese guy who's actually learned Spanish. And his promos, like, his his best thing is his promos. Like, because when he gets, um, because he, he just, he's really funny. But, like, once he starts wrestling, it just doesn't, it doesn't work. Uh, so it's, it's like they have their stalker Ichikawa on the interviews, but not in the ring. Yeah, in the ring, it just doesn't come across. And then his <laughs> interviews, his interviews, when he did them in IWRG, were really good. Because he would, he, he would usually be with Javier Yanez, you know, Wusano Yanez. Yes, and and he would do the interview, and 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 he would actually like say something, and then he would respond to him or whatever. So it really worked. But like on the on CMLL, it just doesn't work because it's just him talking. You know, their pro, their 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 um their interviews are like them talking to the the fan, and it's not somebody interviewing them. So it just falls apart. And then um, and the match is just his 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 work his his in the ring. He's actually slightly better than he was in um Japan though. So there is improvement on the horizon. And then Miklon, have you seen Miklon? Yes, I have. Yeah, he's awful. So. Yes. <laughs> have you you've seen Maximo, right? 
Oh, I, oh yes, I've seen Moximo. And the best thing about it is... One of the strangest exotical gimmicks I've seen. But, but aren't you amazed? I mean, the first thing you think about Maximo is like, how did he get India too? <laughs> yes, yes. So he gets he must that. he must have something. He must be five stars in some areas that we just don't understand. It's like he's, I mean, he he's probably like the the one exot exotical I could really care less about. I don't know what to do. <laughs> yes, he he's one of the few exoticos that look out of place as an exotico. Yeah. Because he doesn't look like an exotic. No, he does not. He he looks, he looks like, like somebody a, who's kidding himself. He looks um, like a Roman type of character or something. I don't know, like almost like a Bayo Greco and Sergio El Hermoso, but not quite, yeah, not quite getting over the hump there. Yeah, no That's, pun intended. Maybe his work isn't like what I thought it was like a year ago. Possibly. Or now, maybe he's worn, maybe he's worn out from impregnating. <laughs> <laughs> Possibly. He's probably worn out uh, from impregnating India too, you know. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of work out of it. Oh, Lord. Him. Now, last week, uh-huh. as we recall, I reviewed the movie Swamp Girl. And I felt so bad at how terribly I represented that movie. I, it wasn't much of a synopsis. And when I think of the releases that Something Weird Video has put out, Something Weird Video is a very fascinating company. They you know, do DVD releases of movies, some of which should have never been made, some which should have been classics, some that most people think shouldn't have been made, but people like me think are brilliant works of art. And... I briefly mentioned that my favorite release by Something Weird Video was an obscure flick called Confessions of a Psycho Cat. Uh-huh. And the reason I thought it would be appropriate to bring that movie into Slam and Stan and try to do one of these great B-flicks justice is because this is one movie where professional wrestling is worked into the storyline. Whoa. This was a movie made back in 1967, and I believe it was last October. I I watched it for, I believe, the fifth time, and I just sat, sat back, wrote a little bit about it, trying to figure what was it that just floored me about this movie. Well, one, there is professional wrestling involved. And the coolest thing is the professional wrestler is played by the legendary Jake LaMotta, the Raging Bull. Wow. 1967, and I don't know why they didn't somehow work his you know, supporting role in this movie into the movie Raging Bull. I know, you would have thought it would have been... Yeah, it would have been key to his rise and fall, so to speak. Yeah. Well, this was a great black and white movie... I watched Raging Bull, you know. <laughs> I I just That's a wonderful movie. Yeah. It's a wonderful movie, but Confessions of a Psycho Cat uh-huh. came years ahead of the head before it. Oh, so they could have had, had that same black and white, kitschy feel to it. But there was something just indescribable. No, not indescribable. I am about to describe it because when I watched that movie, I asked myself, what constitutes a classic B movie? A movie that attains cult status. A movie that is bad yet good. 
It's a tricky subject, especially when you take into consideration that there can be a huge debate over what constitutes a B-movie. There are B-movies that are so horrid that you sit there slack-jawed wondering how these images made it to celluloid. And then you have the B-movies that are low-budget, made with serious intentions, and fall somewhere in between campiness and brilliance. And then you have the folks who actively try too hard to make the movie campy. An example would be Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. And most of these movies just blow. I mean, aren't even good for camp. (laughs) So then you have to ask yourself that question again. How do you define a great B-movie? And my own personal rating system when it comes to a B-flick, first step, you have to hold off all rational analogy and judgment. In fact, when you watch the movie, resist any temptation to review that film after one viewing. Just let it ferment in your emotions and your bloodstream until your spirit harks to you again. We must watch this film again. Now, don't force the call. Don't force yourself to make that call. Just let your inner whore call the film's name and drag you back to it. And when your inner whore drags you back to watch the film repeatedly, then it has defined a classic B-movie. And then you can gig open your mind and spill the ocean of words onto the critic's page. This is when you have been set free, when the spirit of such films now soothes the spirits of your overly repressed ancestors and their house pets, even the ones they never knew they had, and even the one I have right now who is trying to steal my soul. (laughs) And Confessions of a Psycho Cat is the archetype of such a film. It's a wicked black-and-white mindfuck fantasy that is reminiscent of René Clair's classic And Then There Were None. The difference is René Clair, I hope he never saw Confessions of a Psycho Cat, because while he may have had the superior budget, he would have forever wept over the fact that his version lacked vision, not to mention the crazy man crazy beat jazz soundtrack the rampant nakedness in Confessions of a Psycho Cat, naked bodies everywhere, and the wild, mad monster party gaze of the star of the film. This unusual woman named Eileen Lord, who played the Psycho Cat. She plays the role of a socialite, who is also a psychiatric patient named Virginia. And... She's an adult with an older brother, and the movie opens with her brother heading overseas on a safari. Little does he know that his sister is planning her own urban safari in New York City. What happens is she gathers gathers three men to her apartment with an astounding proposal. She will send each man a post-dated check for $100,000. Upon accepting the check... All they have to do is survive the next 24 hours in New York City. And what is the catch? She is going to hunt them down like animals, which alone makes her very sexy. And (laughs) the reason Virginia intends to kill these miscreants is because each of them have killed others in the past. And in each case, they have escaped criminal prosecution. And this is a cool trio of bad men. There's Charles Freeman, the washed-up actor looking for a comeback. 
There's Buddy, the junkie, looking for a fix. And, of course, Jake LaMotta as Rocco, the championship wrestler who once beat a man to death in the middle of the ring. And the fun starts early when Buddy, after having survived the initial attack by Virginia, is seeking refuge from her hunt in a secure apartment where all good junkies seek refuge. Now, Alfredo, where do all good junkies looking for a fix go to find their next fix? Walmart? That's a good guess. You're close. No, you go to a friend's apartment who just happens to be hosting an orgy. Yeah, usually that's where it goes, right? It's yes, exactly. So Buddy goes into this apartment where there is you know, a whole rooms and rooms full of naked people. He tells these naked people having sex his backstory about how he's being hunted, how he is the last survivor of the three. And he tells the partially clad and naked people, in hindsight, how the actor and the wrestler met their horrible fates. And what I love about this movie, what I love about the storytelling time at this orgy, is that the orgy scenes are completely unnecessary. I love it. And I have always hated those tired, old-line professional actors who do this spin about, I only do nudity if it is essential to the storyline. Fuck that noise. I love the Helen Mirrens of this world, the brilliant performers who just shed their clothes at the drop of a hat. So, an interesting history about this movie is that the word is that the numerous orgy scenes that were inserted into this movie were put there several years after the rest of the film was actually completed. Oh, so it Exactly. It serves a good purpose, just to titillate the people. The the original working title was The Three Loves of a Psycho Cat. It was supposed to be a straight-on kick-ass chick flick, but they decided to redo it as sexploitation and (laughs) kick-ass. An almost certain hypothesis, although I googled myself silly, without success, to find any first-hand accounts of people involved with this film. With the exception of a scant few people who starred in this movie, everyone involved in the making or acting of Confessions of a Psycho Cat, including Eileen Lord, the star of the film, and the director, Herb Stanley, they seem to have vanished from the face of the earth after the final cut of this movie was made. I find it Interesting, because if you peruse the database of of folks who are involved in the most remote Uh B-movies, it seems at least half the cast and crew have landed at least a few more credits to their rosters. Another interesting piece of trivia in this flick is that there was one exception. There was one woman who was in another film who was in this movie. One of the uh, stars of this movie, or should I say the later inserted stars, was a woman named Rita Bennett. In fact, her role listed on Internet Movie Database is one of a sex insert. She was in a number of small roles after this movie. And do you know what the very last role, the very last movie she had a, a part in was? What was it? Raging Bull. Wow. What was she, what was she in Raging Bull? I think it was just some nondescript part. I, just, uh, probably like woman in scene or woman in diner or something like that. 
one of the extras. Exactly, one of the extras. But it's kind of you know cool that she came full circle, starting in a movie with Jake LaMotta, ending in a movie about Jake LaMotta. And one of the coolest parts about this sadistic joyride uh-huh. is the way Virginia kills Rocco. She lures the wrestler to her penthouse apartment late at night and then out onto her patio where her manservant plays a picador and sticks Rocco in the back with some picks. And then we see Virginia in full matador gear, just like Tito Santana in WWF, with a sword and cape. And she engages in a human bullfight with Rocco and just, you know, just takes him to pieces. It is actually chilling the way he screams his death screams. Very cool shit that you must see. And all I've got to see is why did we never see Eileen Lord, the psycho cat, after this movie. She's straight-jacketed on the cover of this video. Uh-huh. And I call upon her wherever she is to break free, return in full matador gear, impale the sad efforts of the long list of dismal B-movie torture films being cranked out today. There are many of them, and they all suck. All the films of Ray Dennis Steckler and Herschel Gordon Lewis combined cannot hold a matchstick to the huntress that was Eileen Lord in Confessions of a Psychocat. So the only way I can wholly wind up this piece about Confessions of a Psychopath is asking if there are any other Psychopath fanatics out there, please email me at liger, L-Y-G-E-R, at AOL.com, because B-movies or even big screen movies don't get more bitchin' than Confessions of a Psychopath. A must-see movie for all. This sounds more interesting than um, Harry Potter. <laughs> this is much more interesting than Harry Potter. Have you seen, have you, have you seen the last, the most recent Harry Potter? No, I haven't. I am almost embarrassed to say I've only seen the first Harry Potter. Oh yeah, the the most recent one is like I don't know. It's just I think everybody who who let's just let's just go with the whole um, read the book type of response. <laughs> so like every, everybody that I talk to, they'll be like, yeah, the book is better. I'm like, ah. Oh. <laughs> Well, you know, that's right. That, that's what I've heard the buzz is. Everybody who is really into the books for some reason was really, really put yeah. off by this last movie. Yeah, the last movie. Everybody says it's not as good as the book, and I'm like, yeah. But the problem is, I want I I want to go watch the movie to not read the book. You know, <laughs> no, I don't want to read the book. I'm not a reader. I would rather just like go sit down two. And the bad thing is, two and a half hours long, man. It's just crazy. I actually saw a better movie than. Uh, Harry Potter. And what was that? This, like, um, um, Canadian film called Leolo. I don't know if you've seen it. I remember Leolo very well. That was that was a movie that had a very, very really good weird. soundtrack. Yeah, it was really weird, though, like, the, about a family that, dysfunctional family and the little kid's trying to kill his grandfather and everything. You know oh, that? extremely grim movie. Very, very well-made, but grim that's a movie with an excellent soundtrack that includes work by Jacques Brel and Tom Waits. Yeah, Tom Waits, right? Cause I, yes. I was like, that's Tom Waits. Yes, in the cold, cold ground, they right. played the song in there. I'm not a big, um, I don't, I, I like Tom Waits, but I've never heard a lot of his music. Oh, I must turn you on to some of his music. He is, he along with Leonard Cohen, I think is the greatest lyricist I've ever heard. I'll try to buy some. Uh, 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 buy some. <laughs> buy some. I'm, I'm, 
You know, you know. Let me wink at you, Kurt, through the. <laughs> let me wink to all the callers that I will be buying some Tom Waits. Yes, yes. I I try to shove him down people's throats. I discovered Tom Waits in 1978, and I've never looked back. Yeah, it's it's. I've I've noticed that the the older I've gotten, the more I listen to. You know, like when I was a kid, I always listened to rock. You know, certain like the harder music. And the yeah. older I've gotten, I'll, I'm more accepting of other music. Yeah, I, I, I blame I, one of the advantages. I was the baby of the family, uh, three older brothers and one sister, and each of them had pretty diverse tastes. So there was music of, you know, almost every genre in our household, uh-huh. and I think that taught me to just embrace the fact there is so much music out there. It's just never ending. The genres and you know styles of music you can find there you know it's a never you know never ending well of stuff to just swim in i and as a result i think i have even more diverse taste than any of my siblings now you know kurt you 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 know how we watch south park right yes you've seen the goth kids right i love the goth kids that was the episode where they inserted clamato juice into the storyline well that's that's what my sister used to be like Judy was a goth? Yeah, she was a goth kid. Oh, my Lord. No, she wasn't. I was just kidding. She she was, like, you know, she was, like, in between. Uh-huh. Like, between goth and being a band member. Do you have any pictures of her in this gear? No. Oh, sadly, bummer. Sadly, sadly I still want to tease her about it now. She sadly, eliminated. Actually, most of her friends were really into goth. And she was like, <laughs> she was like, I met more people who had friends who were into goth rather than them being into goth themselves. Well, they were into that. Like she was into it, but she wasn't like she wouldn't dress like that. It's kind of like me. I was a I, I was a metalhead, but I never dressed like that. Right, right, I, exactly. I, I get you. I got gotcha. you. I'm the furthest thing from a metalhead. Like if you saw me, you'd be like, Hey, you like classical? I, yeah, I, I would not think that. Um, I would not think that you were the type who would listen to groups like Mastodon. Yeah. At first sight. Yeah, and as opposed to actually being that way. Everybody <laughs> always, you know, that's one of the things about people always assuming something completely different from what you, you know, they have a different opinion of what you really are. Yeah, the the cliche line, don't judge a book by its cover, but it's so true because, you know, people are, there's a lot more complexities of people, uh, you know, underneath the surface. You know, it's, cliche thing we've heard since we were kids, but is even truer than I think the people who preach it to us is. Just because you like lucha doesn't mean you have to be, um, <laughs> you know, like odd-looking or anything, you know? Exactly. Or, or <laughs> exactly. Like you don't have to be odd-looking to like lucha. <laughs> you know, lucha libre, you could be fine. You could be sane. You could actually walk around amongst the normal folks. <laughs> you won't bite. You know, lucha fans won't bite. <laughs> we're, we're normal. We won't. That's right. We'll, that's we'll right. Pull you, I... we'll, we'll pull your hair and we'll kick you in the nuts. But that's pretty much. Yeah. During the day, we're mild mannered, whatever we are. Yeah. <laughs> and I will pull each other's hair, kick each other in the nuts, yell out foul, <laughs> scream you know? foul, foul. Oh. One yeah. of the things I loved very much about that South Park uh, goth episode was when they broke out the clamato juice. It reminded me when I used to work out at Gil's gym. Yeah, after the, after the lucha workout kids. concluded, uh-huh. there was a liquor store right next to the door to the, uh, the gym. Uh-huh. And so, you know, the younger students, usually me, 
would be sent out to, you know, get beer for all the guys, and they always told me to get, you know, a few chilled bottles of Clamato. And so they're sitting there drinking their Miller beer, and I see one guy who's ha- making it half beer, half Clamato. Oh, God. That sounds- I, that's what I said. I looked at him and said, that is the sickest thing I've ever seen, and he's just just sipping it like, you know, it's a delicacy. And after the umpteenth time saying that looks so gross, he finally said, you know what? Try it. I dare you. Just try it. <laughs> and so I put some my lips and I took a sip, and it was the best tasting elixir I put my lips to in a long time. <laughs> you don't drink it anymore, though. <laughs> no, I do. Oh, you do? <laughs> not you often. Do I'm, I'm not a frequent drinker, but sometimes I just like to get beer, mix it with Clamato, and I've tried drinking Clamato by itself, and yeah. oh man, it's disgusting. I but you mix it with a nice cold beer; it's delicious. I can't drink V8. I mean, that stuff looks disgusting to me. Like uh, I like actually I like V8, but you put yeah, that no, clammy taste into it. Yikes! I I always remembered when I was a kid, like the people who drink were like athletic or something, or like healthy. <laughs> and I was like, dude, no, I'm 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 the biggest slacker you'll ever go to meet. I'm not. Gonna <laughs> You and I were raised with opposite messages. I was always preached that athletes do not drink, they do not drug, and boy, was I lied to. What a <laughs> naive child I was. I learned that from the after-school specials, man. That's Where right. The first wrestler I was introduced to was Don Morocco. Uh-huh. This was in 1976. I was 14 years old, and he was renting an apartment, not an apartment, but a house in Santa Cruz. Uh-huh. And my oldest brother lived in Santa Cruz. My brother was one of these surfer guys, as was Morocco back then. And so my brother, God bless him, I was like this, I think, 13-year-old kid who just wanted to meet a pro wrestler. Uh-huh. And so my brother actually had the ball to just knock on his door and say, hey, I have a little brother who just loves wrestling. And he, he probably said something like, he's a total dweeb. Will you put up with him for a few minutes? And Morocco, God bless him, said, yeah, come on in. So I walk into a house, and it's a house filled with all these, like, beach bums and hippies. And you see roach clips, joints, laying around everywhere. That was my introduction to the athletic uh, Spartan pro wrestler. (laughs) And and Morocco was a hell of a nice guy. Yeah. I was was sitting there in my, you know, plaid checkered pants and my green T-shirt and shaking like a leaf because I was actually meeting the magnificent Morocco. They're like, oh my God, it's Morocco. Oh, he, yeah, he was he was, he was yeah, a good sport. A, God bless him. Yeah, this was when he was young, too, so. Yeah, that was, it was right after he turned heel, I believe it was the first time he turned heel up in Roy Shire territory. Oh. Well, can you believe that an hour has already passed? An hour passed, man. I tried to even play the song a little longer. <laughs> <laughs> well, Alfredo and I would be curious to hear what you people think of this last hour. I think this was an hour where we actually kind of winged it. Would you say more than we have any other episode? Winged it? No, I actually did. We, I thought we did pretty good. Okay. I think well, we, we, we missed we missed um, our 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 third member of um, Slam and Stand though. Yeah, this is true. This is true, and we hope that he is doing the Zombie Nation proud. We salute you. Esteban Sims, <laughs> and we look forward to seeing all of you next week. 
And, uh, you know, if you get a chance, drop us an email. You can email me at Liger, L-Y-G-E-R, at AOL.com. They could Twitter. They could follow us on Twitter, too. Yes, we are both on tr- Twitter. I'm on as Vandal Drummond. And, and what's your, your handle is The Real Alfredo, isn't it? The Real Fredo. The Real Fredo. Yeah. Drop okay. us lines. Let us know if you like what we do, if you think we totally blow, if, if you we uh, are likable but we blow at the same time. Or if you hate Just Kurt. send us your thoughts. Or if you hate Kurt and love me, then you can email me. Right? <laughs> Otherwise, don't email me. That's right. Me, I can take the abuse. You take the abuse. Kurt will take criticism. That's right. I will take criticism. Whereas Ouch. I I Ouch. Especially if it's criticism from a woman. I dig the humiliation. There you go, yeah. Can you, are you out there, Bull Nakano? Can you hear me calling to you? <laughs> well, and we uh, sign off here then. Uh, well, before we sign off, my website is www.standtheembryo.com. And Fredo, your website is? My website is www.luchaworld.com and www.slambamjam.com. Where you can get the most bitchin' current wrestling DVDs and past wrestling DVDs. Alfredo has a hell of a catalog. So we're signing off here from Southern California, where the most sacred sound is the strum of the surf guitar. Take care, people. We will see you next Thursday night.